Well, I'd like to thank you all for uh, joining us for our time of worship. I'd like to thank Chris for reading God's word for us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And I'd like us uh, to spend time together looking at one or two things from these first 16 verses of this chapter, Luke, chapter 5. Before we do that, let's bow our heads in our short word of prayer to God. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we give thanks to you that we can draw near to you together just now. And we look to you, Lord, uh, to shine into our hearts and to be our guide as we spend time seeking to learn from what you have to say to us. You said yourself, learn of me, for I am humble and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So may we come as those who need you, Lord. Speak to us as we seek to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 5, I'm using the uh, English Standard Version text for our time of meditation just now. Uh, looking at the scenario in which we're all living, and I mentioned this earlier today, uh, we're uh, surrounded by circumstances which are difficult for us. I'm talking about uh, the coronavirus uh, restrictions. We're all confronted uh, regularly with difficulties uh, of varying kinds in our lives. That's no matter who we are, whether we're the Lord's people or whether we are non-believers, whichever creed or tongue or religion to which we may uh, uh, assign ourselves. And changing circumstances uh, bring tough times. That is more often than not. I'm sure some of us at the moment are fairly... uh, uplifted uh, in our, in our uh, situation, uh, regardless of the COVID uh, uh, restrictions. Uh, we read in the experience of one of the, the men of the Old Testament, in the experience of Job, uh, Job was uh, reputed to be the most patient of all men, but because of his circumstances in God's providence, he could only say, amongst other things, that man is, who is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. And even Jesus himself made no bones about reminding his disciples uh, that in this world you will have troubles or tribulation. But he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. So, in all our changing circumstances and troubles and difficulties, what the Bible is teaching us is that we have no other place to go to for uh, help, for helping us through these situations, but to God himself, and especially as he reveals himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we all agree that uh, difficulties uh, bring challenges to us, and we're often faced with hard choices as to how to deal with those difficulties, how these are to be overcome. Uh, and that is, again, whether we are believers in the Lord Jesus 
or not, if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus uh, today, where do you go to for help in times of trouble? Uh, For example, think of the circumstantial effect we're all experiencing as I speak to you tonight uh, through a camera and through a microphone. We're usually gathered together here to worship God, and that in itself is a challenge for us. So what does our reaction to difficulties say about us? What does it say about our relationship with God and others around us? Who, where, what do we go to for help in these sorts of situations? How are we challenged when times are difficult? Do we have the faith that we need to have to carry us through all of these difficulties and trials? In this chapter, there are uh, two scenarios brought before us. Just in summary, to start off with, uh, in the verses Chris has read for us from Luke 5, we have the first scenario in the first 11 verses where Jesus uh, meets with some fishermen. There are other things obviously going on there. But Jesus teaches from a fishing boat in response to a demand on him from a jostling crowd beside Lake Gennesaret, uh, sometimes better known as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus challenges uh, a group of fishermen, and particularly one of these fishermen, namely Peter. Now we must remember that this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's at the point where he's calling uh, the very first of his disciples to him. And this must have been very near or around the time that Simon, uh, Peter as he was known, Uh, was introduced to Jesus by his brother, uh, Andrew, the narrative of which we read at the beginning of John's Gospel. He challenges this group of fishermen uh, to persevere in doing something they had grafted at uh, the previous night, but with no success. They probably thought that they they had failed to, to do the right thing somehow or other. And to all intents and purposes, they had given up on what was their profession. Whatever that was that caused that lack of uh, catching any fish. And that's what we read in the scenario. They're basically saying to Jesus, when Jesus challenges them to go out, what's the point? We're catching nothing. It's time to pack up and hit the shore again. Isn't it strange for seafaring fishermen to be on dry land, on terra firma? Well, that was an unusual situation, but we can understand, uh, humanly speaking at least, why they were there. They were downhearted. There was an emptiness in their experience, very often as we find ourselves falling into. We come to the stage when you know, what's the point in going on? What's, nothing's happening for me in this situation just now. So what's the point in going on? But Jesus thought that there was a point. 
He was compassionate with them, I believe. And he says, look, guys, you need to go back to your fishing manual. This is not where you should be. This was uh, a way of telling them, you'll have to listen to my teaching. I'm sure they had been listening, listening to them when he, was, when he had borrowed Peter's boat here uh, to be used as a pulpit. But uh, just in summary, we find in this first scenario that Jesus is challenging them. He says, go out there yet again, even though you haven't been very successful and continue doing what you are gifted to do. Use your nets and don't let your nets use you. Because that was what was happening. We read in the text that... uh, he saw the fishermen there and what were they doing? Washing their nets. Very often we're washing our nets and not using them for the purpose for which God has given us. Whichever gift it has, we have. We're inclined to do that sometimes even as Christians with our theology and all that. We're washing our theology and building it up but not actually putting it into Use. There is, uh, as theologians say, there is systematic theology. Yes, we have to learn about that from the Bible, but there is also practical theology. The systematic theology has to be put into practice. So that is the first scenario that is brought to our attention. It's faith being challenged. Go even though it looks very unlikely that you're going to catch anything. In the second scenario, it's a a different... In the first scenario, it's Jesus coming and challenging people as to what they're going to do in the light of what he's saying. But here in the second scenario, we have what I would call faith, not under challenge, but on display. And it's not dissimilar to what we were looking at in the... Uh, story of Hannah, which we had uh, earlier on this uh, today, we were looking at. This is uh, uh, a situation where an individual comes to Jesus. In a very real way, Jesus had been working in the heart of this man, I believe, and bringing him to himself, using the providence in which he was found in to be drawn to the only place where where he could find succor in his need. It's on a more personal need level. Uh, We read uh, in the text that this man was suffering from leprosy. Uh, There came a man full of leprosy. He was absolutely uh, covered uh, with this disease. I'm not going into the technicalities or the physiology of the disease from which he was suffering, but in these times, uh, leprosy was uh, a reference to some sort of skin disease, many kinds of skin diseases. So there is no evidence of this man uh, having, he- having been in Jesus' company before in the past or having heard Uh, Jesus' teaching. He he may have heard of Jesus by reputation, but not directly. He was to all intents and purposes a case of there came a man. 
uh, it's not just once a once upon a time situation because again in the big picture of the providence of God God was at work because this is recorded for us in the inspired canon of scripture and God wants us to take note of what he's telling us about this man what would have been going through his mind? Was he at the end of his, his tether? So it would appear just not uh, unlike Hannah was in her predicament, uh, as we were looking at earlier today. What sort of mental condition was he in? Was he even suicidal? A sense of, there was an apparent sense anyway of absolute lostness and uh, a, a purposeless, a meaninglessness uh, for him to, to exist as a member of the human race. Because uh, his experience tells us that uh, he saw no hope of self-help. Self -help. There was nobody uh, giving him any pity. And there was no charity being extended towards him. No empathy, no hope from anyone. At least not up until now. His situation was desperate. And uh, there are words in the prophecy of Isaiah which uh, speak of uh, when God was speaking of his people in a spiritual way. And the situation, the condition of this man can be uh, put into a spiritual context for us in our relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, without him, as I say before, he saves us. Isaiah chapter 1 speaks of the condition of God's people at that time when things were spiritually low and uh, God's people were so disobedient and so idolatrous that they were uh, described as being full of bruises and sores and raw wounds which are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And this man was suffering because of that. We don't know his name. He was a man full of leprosy. At every level of his life, physically, mentally, socially, financially, and even at a religious level, he was a total reject from society and needed to be reassured that he was at least worth something. It's as though he's shouting loud and clear, someone Somewhere, please save me from the scrap heap of human society. And I'm sure there may be some listening to this uh, this afternoon who may be in a situation not unlike that. <clears throat> now, it's very interesting, uh, just in, uh, bearing in mind, uh, I keep mentioning the coronavirus uh, situation we're in, uh, one commentator says that according to Jewish law and customs, one had to keep at least six feet or two meters from a leprosy sufferer. I think that rings a bell for us in our present situation. And if the wind blew toward a person who was uh, uh, toward the person from a leper, if you were downwind from a leprosy sufferer, you had to keep at least 150 feet, 45 meters, the length, half the length of a, a soccer pitch. Uh, that's some distance. And the, the only thing more defiling than contact with a leper 
was contact with a dead body. In his, uh, in his dealing with these uh, different people, uh, Jesus was compassionate. He displayed compassion. This man's last recourse was to Jesus' willingness and reputed ability to rid him of this body of death. Words that Paul used when he saw that he wasn't able to do very much in, in, in light of the spiritual battle that was going on in his life. Who is able to rid me of this body of death? And of course, the leprosy sufferer here, he was suffering more than physical or uh, getting into the situation where death was coming his way through the disease that he was uh, riddled with. His physical posture before Jesus demonstrates unquestionably his awareness of need and the depth of mental anguish. Again, no Tana. His only hope was Jesus. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, he says. I love these words. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. These words speak loudly of, first of all, his desire to be reconciled to whatever Jesus this man who had come and who was proclaiming himself as the the Messiah of God, the man who had been foretold in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus was willing, and not only was he willing, but he was able. He put his whole life into the hands of Jesus, believing he was able if he was willing It's an amazing thing for any of us to entrust our lives to someone else. I think uh, perhaps uh, the best, one of the best illustrations of that is when we need some sort of uh, radical surgery to be carried out on our hands and we have a consultation with with the would-be surgeon and at the end of of the discourse we have to decide, well, my life is in your hands. I can do nothing for myself. No one else can do anything for me, but you have the ability to do. And here we have this man's hopelessness uh, with Jesus. Uh, He was transformed to wholesomeness through trust in what Jesus could and, in fact, did. So this second scenario, as we look at it uh, in this detail, we find that at the end of it all, There was an emptiness in his life that was absolutely filled to the full by the Lord Jesus Christ in healing him. The wonderful words from Jesus' mouth and the wonderful gesture of Jesus as uh, in our humanity. Here was a man who is of purer life, pure as God himself. The God-man, what does he do? He says, immediately, uh, sorry, verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. Jesus is willing 
and Jesus is able and he is able to carry out right to the end the deepest need, to meet the deepest need that this man had. I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is able to respond to this simple faith that each and every one of us must come with to him entrusting all that we have to him. He came in faith to Jesus asking for his immediate situation to be addressed and so must we. Well, the question arises, how are you faring under your own present difficulty? How are you feeling under pressure, whatever that pressure might be? Uh, Some of us perhaps are at the end of our tether with all that's going on generally. But some of us may have personal situations that we just don't know where to turn to. And we need the help of the man of Galilee to come to our assistance. With people, are we impatient? With circumstances, are we at the end of our tether? With, with people? We can't hack it any longer. Psalmist says in Psalm 34, I love these words, and it speaks of this man who came in simple faith. This man cried, God heard and freed him from all his distresses. He is the hearer and the answerer of prayer. And I think Psalm, uh, Psalm 103 puts this into uh, lovely words for us. In summary, if you like, uh, this man we read here, that he went, he went away. He charged, Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. This man who was healed, perhaps he was disobedient in one sense, but God used that even in order for the gospel to, to go ahead. And this is a beautiful uh, version, this psalm, Psalm 103. All thine iniquities who doth most graciously forgive, who thy diseases, all and pains, doth heal and thee relieve, who doth redeem thy life, that thou to death mayst not go down, who thee with loving kindness doth, and tender mercies crown. That's the Scottish psalmody, metrical version of these verses from Psalm 103. Faith on display. There is no doubt that this man came. Well, what about the first scenario that we referred to here in Luke chapter 5? Well, I think there's a lot to be learned here. Faith challenged is what we have before us here. Now, Jesus must have known how disappointed these uh, landlocked fishermen must have been. He comes along and he sees two empty fishing boats. What are fishing boats for? They're for fishing. Okay, fishing boats sometimes need to come ashore for maintenance and so on. But Jesus takes uh, advantage of this opportunity. He saw, verse 2, 
two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter. Simon, excuse me, can I borrow your boat? I'm going to do some fishing myself. But the fishing that Jesus was going to do was fishing of a different kind. The fishing that Jesus was going to do was being was a continuation of what he had been doing right through. If you go to chapter 4 and at verse 43, we read right at the end of the chapter, he said to the people around him, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And then we come to this chapter and we find Jesus doing the same thing. Preaching the good news of the kingdom of God to the crowd. And Peter and his fellow fishermen, they must have heard. They couldn't possibly not have heard the words of Jesus. Well, Jesus had borrowed Peter's boat. And Peter, well, let's, let's see what he's going to do from my boat. Their lives were at a bit of a low point. Professional fishermen not being able to catch any fish with all their experience. Perhaps that touches on ourselves to some extent, experiencing uh, low points in our lives when we don't have the successes that we thought we would get. And uh, to the extreme, we may feel that life's just collapsing around us. And for many people, uh, their jobs are being lost just now, just because of the situation we're in with this pandemic. So these fishermen were wondering, are we uh, going to go on just going out fishing? And more often than not, we're not going to catch anything and we're not going to make a living out of this experiencing your life, wondering which direction your life is, is taking, actually. The pit props, to use a, a mining, an old mining metaphor, the pit props begin to collapse, and we are experiencing a, a cave-in experience. The bottom is falling out of our world. But Jesus knows these men. Now, we must remember that here he was at the beginning of his ministry and he was using situations in order to bring his disciples around him. It was uh, at the calling of the very first disciples. We find that uh, uh, later on in this chapter, in verse 27, when a tax collector named Levi was called to Jesus. And again, referring to the first, the opening chapters of the Gospel of John, where the disciples were called. Uh, so here we have Jesus being aware of what's going on here. It's almost as though he's come to the end, uh, or halfway even through a, a 10 point or even 20 point sermon. He's in the middle of a sermon as he's going through these towns and places. And he's applying what he is teaching to the lives of those he meets. He's come to the end uh, of, of a visit here, or coming to the end of a visit to this place. 
And it's interesting when he says, <clears throat> he says, he sat down, uh, we read in verse 4, and uh, he, he says to Simon, put out into the deep. Sorry, in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. And without going into too much of the detail in the text, but referring to Peter's reply, no way am I going out there again. Now, it seems to me there that Simon is questioning the command of Jesus as though he knew better what to do. Well, I'm a fisherman after all. What does he know about my profession? And Master, he says, but we toiled all night and took nothing. What's the point in going out again? We're tired. We're exhausted. We're spent. Can't go on. Not right now, anyway. It's as though he's saying to Jesus, oh, give us a break. But then Peter realizes, and I suspect that by this time, Jesus was aware of, uh, Peter rather, was aware of who Jesus was. He addresses him as master, but he doesn't act as though he was his master until, uh, or on second thought, on second thoughts, okay, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And perhaps going through Jesus' uh, Peter's mind uh, at this point was, well, ah, well, we might as well do this anyway, seeing as he's asking. You know, sometimes we question when people are trying to advise us to do certain things, and even when the Lord Himself is teaching us something from His Word, we're reluctant to follow it through, just to take Jesus at his word and simply follow him. We're all broken in our obedience to the Lord. Our faith is so flawed and so faint and so feeble so often. And even at that time, our faith can be challenged. And that's when it's most difficult for us. When Jesus tells Peter and his uh, fellow fishermen to go out and cast their nets out. It's like telling, uh, they, they probably deemed it uh, uh, like somebody who's an amateur in this field of fishing, telling them how they should do what they've been doing for many a year, uh, presumably. It's like telling uh, our brother Crawford how to, how to design a house of telling our medical professionals how best to care for the sick, how to telling a surgeon how to carry out a surgery. But here is Jesus. Here is the great architect of our faith and the great physician of unbelieving souls. Here is the fisherman par excellence. Jesus is the one who goes out and who saves souls. This uh, was, to some extent at least, I think, unbeknown to Peter and company. But Jesus is saying, trust me. 
Trust me, O you of little faith. Jesus is compassionate with the lack of catching of fish. Jesus is compassionate with their frame of mind. Jesus is compassionate with their perplexity. But he wants them to take their nets, to exercise their faith once again. What little they have. I wonder how clean these nets were. It wasn't wrong for them to be washing their nets. They were very conscientious, very likely, in looking after the equipment that, had been, that they had been given in order to earn their living. But Jesus is compassionate, and he, he wants them to cast their nets, to take them back into the boat themselves and their nets, cast them out into the deep waters, and effectively to believe that he would do the rest. Trust me. They didn't, Jesus didn't say what was going to happen. Put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch, he says in verse 4. And then we find uh, Simon's rather hesitant answer. And then miraculously, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. This scenario presents us with another miracle, just as the second scenario presents us with a miraculous healing. This scenario presents us with a miraculous uh, haul of fish, a miraculous provision by the Lord himself in a miraculous way. The God who is the sovereign God, the God-man who brought the world into existence, here he is, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. And he is commanding these people to, realize, to, to do what he is asking them to do. Trust me, I know what I am doing, he says. Do as I say, trust me. Now that's easy for us to hear these words being said, but to put that into practice, we all know how difficult it is for us to put our trust in God. Still trust in God, says the psalmist, for I will yet praise him. And this is what we saw with Hannah earlier today. And this is what we are challenged to do, what Peter and his uh, fellow fishermen were being challenged to do. And it's very interesting that uh, there's a principle here that uh, affects us all, no matter, it's a principle of trust and obedience in the Lord. And in their case, we read uh, later on uh, that Jesus is saying to them, don't be afraid. This was after the miraculous catch. And uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were there as well, partners with Simon, we read in verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what might confront you in the future. Don't be afraid of uh, the awesomeness of the God who is uh, showing you signs and wonders, who is proving to you that I am he. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And he's referring, of course, to them being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who were going to, uh, those who were going to be appointed pillars of 
the church in the New Testament, apostles, the sent ones of the Lord. And it's, it's not a specific call for us all to be uh, fishers of men because not all are called to be apostles. Although we all have, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, a duty to be witnesses to his saving and keeping power. Some are called to be apostles, as Paul writes to the Ephesians. Some are called to be evangelists and teachers and so on and so forth. But it's all so that the body of Christ may be built up, each one to do his or her own role within that body. There's another thing that uh, comes to light here because of uh, uh, the resultant haul of fish. It's very interesting that uh, Peter's reaction is what it is. When Simon Peter, verse 8, saw this hall of her, she fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, isn't it very interesting that that should be his reaction? But I think there is a realization on the part of Peter that he had failed in his faith before and that he had not immediately followed the Lord believing that fish would be catched and not just a normal catch but a a, a totally humongous catch of fish. Some of us uh, like watching uh, nature programs. I like ones uh, which uh, tell us about uh, uh, aquamarine life Uh, whales and you see these huge whales being photographed under the sea and they're following a large shoal of whatever it is it's mackerel or anchovies or whatever and the 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 whale just opens its mouth wide and swallows what is pretty well most of that shoal in one go peter's reaction depart from me for i'm a sinful man Stay clear of me, Lord, because I'm imperfect. Don't come near me. Peter, I think, in a sense, was aware of his own uncleanness because of the fact that he had failed his master. Because I am aware of not having put my trust in what you asked me to do at the outset. I thought I knew better. Stay, don't don't come near me because I've let you down. I was disobedient to you, and it has become clear to me that what is not of faith is sin, offensive to God and harmful to me and to others. So in retrospect, I think here Peter is aware of his lack of faith in what Jesus had commanded. In his mind, he was still ashore, washing his nets. Yes, we can spend time doing what may be legitimate, but not trusting in the Lord to the full extent of the faith that he wants us to exercise. Peter might have been boasting to other fishermen of his nets. I don't know. I'm just suggesting, look at my nets, clean, strong, perfectly repaired, where repair was required. They're the best nets of the lot. Ah, yes, Peter, but what are you doing with them? You're just washing them just looking at them. They're just sitting there on the quayside as ornaments. Yes, our theology may be sound, 
but adhering to our theology. As I said earlier, practical theology has to be put into place as well as systematic biblical theology. They had been as good as useless not long before these nets. But now look at this. An abundance, a miraculous abundance, a miraculous of pro- a miracle of provision uh, followed in the leprosy sufferer's case by a miracle of healing. Paul says to the Philippian believers, my God will supply all your needs, every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we have faith challenged. It's Jesus who's taking the initiative on both occasions. Even though in the first instance he comes to them and challenges their faith and rewards their ultimate obedience with the blessing of plenty. And in the second scenario, faith is displayed, perhaps at its most basic, uh, in its most basic way, responding to this sufferer, responding to his cry of faith, and he rewards that faith with the blessing of healing. Jesus is the provider, the great provider of salvation. And Jesus is the one who is able to heal us. He challenges us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he challenging you as a believer today? This word challenges me on a day-by-day basis. What am I doing with the faith that I profess? Do you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he is the one who will hear and he will uh, he will keep no good. As the last few verses of Psalm 84 puts it, God our Lord, the Lord Jesus is a son and a protection for us. He'll grace and glory give and will withhold no good from them that uprightly do live. That is, who live in faith in him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples we have from this word to teach us in your ways. Forgive us for the weakness of our faith, for the coldness of our love. Take away from us anything that is hindering us from coming to you and help us to believe that you will provide all our needs, as Paul said, in accordance uh, with your riches in glory. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, hear us, we pray. Amen.